0: I think Americans should sleep well at night. I have no concerns about uh, this particular uh, rhetoric of the last few days.
1: Yeah, it's not working. I'm not sleeping well.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Because I am concerned about I the rhetoric
1: over the past right. few days. I'm so scared I fall off my chair. And i how I'll get down stairs to the left me, jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes i'm stuck in from the pacifica radio you. in target los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la in oregon on 91.7 fm kyaq on the central coast 106.7 queso in cottage grove In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI 92.9 FM, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day of the week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Handler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Uh, I've got quite a few, uh, well, uh, at least several stories here that I want to desperately, I've been desperately trying to get to all week here. But for the news uh, concerning North Korea and Donald Trump's threats against them, some uh, some some democracy and voting news, some, uh, some terrorism news. We will, in fact, get to that, at least uh, some of it today. But I've got my guest standing by, so I want to get straight to him. Before we do, maybe the, w- the best way to lighten things up before things get dark is to allow Stephen Colbert to, uh, to set the stage for us here. This past weekend, the U.N. imposed
0: harsh sanctions on North Korea to try to get them to curb their nuclear program.
1: North Korea responded by threatening revenge on the U.S. So, renowned deal artist, Donald Trump, (laughs) Donald Trump saw their threat of apocalypse and raised them one Armageddon. Yep, that's about where we are right now. Indeed, Donald Trump further ratcheted up his rhetoric against North Korea this afternoon following North Korea's ratcheting up their own rhetoric in response to Trump's threat on Tuesday that if North Korea continued to threaten us, the U.S. would unleash fire and fury like the world has never seen before against them. The new threat today against North Korea, according to the AP, including uh, President Trump, demanding that North Korea, quote, get their act together or face extraordinary trouble, He said his previous warning of fire and fury if Pyongyang threatened the U.S. again might have been too soft. He said maybe that statement wasn't tough enough. That was Trump on Thursday speaking to reporters from the New Jersey golf course where he has been vacationing over the past week. He said North Korea had been, quote, getting away with a tragedy that can't be allowed. I don't believe he specified what tragedy that was, and he declined to say whether the U.S. was considering a preemptive military strike against the isolated Asian nation or not. He said North Korea better get their act together or they are going to be in big trouble like few nations have been in trouble, Trump said, flanked by Vice President Mike Pence. He said it may very well be tougher than I said. The comments were the first since North Korea announced detailed plans yesterday to launch a salvo of ballistic missiles toward the U.S. Pacific Territory of Guam, home to nearly 200,000 American citizens and a major military hub housing U.S. bombers and some 7,000 U.S. troops. Alluding to the threats, Trump said if North Korea took any steps to even think about an attack, Things will happen to them like they never thought possible. Okay, adding that North Korean leader Kim Jong Un has been quote pushing the world around for a long time. On Thursday, the North said they were finalizing a plan to fire four ballistic missiles over Japan and into waters around Guam. The plan would uh, would be given to Kim. For final approval in mid-August, despite the fact that such a plan, if carried out, would almost certainly compel the U.S. to respond, the uh, increased threats from the North and North Korean-like rhetoric coming from our own U.S. president come on the heels of a unanimous U.N. Security Council resolution over the weekend, supported by the U.S. as well as North Korean partners like China and Russia for harsher sanctions against North Korea. Now, during my last conversation earlier this year on the broadcast with Voice of America's Steve Herman, who who has spent years as a correspondent and Asian bureau chief for VOA News, he tipped me off to a technique that he has come to rely on over the years to to determine how serious these various threats uh, issued by the North should be taken. Uh, He told me at the time that if it's the foreign ministry issuing any particular statement, don't worry too much, it's likely just sort of bluster. He told me last spring. Uh, But if the statements are coming from military officials with the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, then maybe, maybe uh, then we should worry about it at least a little more, Uh, at least take those threats a bit more seriously. So with that in mind, quoting from CBS this week, Uh, Such military maneuvers of the U.S. may provoke a dangerous conflict under the present extremely acute situation prevailing on the Korean Peninsula, said the Korean People's Army in a statement to the state-run news agency KCNA. And from Herman himself at VOA News this week, quote, a spokesman for North Korea's army was quoted as saying the strike plan against Guam will be, quote, put into practice in a multi-current and consecutive way any moment once an order is given by Kim Jong-un. And on Wednesday, AP reported North Korea officially dismissed President Donald Trump's threat of fire and fury as a load of nonsense and declaring the American leader, quote, bereft of reason, warning ominously, only absolute force can work on him. In a statement carried by state media, General Kim Rok gyam who heads North Korea's rocket command also said his country was quote about to take military action near the U.S. Pacific territory of Guam. He called it a historic enveloping fire at Guam. So those statements coming directly from the uh, the military officials in North Korea is it time to actually be worried under the under the Steve Herman rule? Well, joining us now is the always ridiculously level-headed Steve Herman. He's a veteran journalist having spent some 26 years based in Asia, covering the region, including reporting from Tokyo and as a VOA correspondent and bureau chief in India, Korea, and Thailand. He recently returned stateside to become VOA's White House bureau chief, and he joins us today from Cincinnati, where he must be taking a vacation from covering the president's vacation in New Jersey but he's kind enough to join us today anyway. Steve Herman, welcome back to the Bradcast, sir.
0: Brad, it's a pleasure to be back, and yes, uh, I am uh, trying to take a little bit of vacation in Cincinnati, and it started out uh, pretty well, uh, rhetoric aside about North Korea, because the... uh Reds uh, beat the Padres 10-3 uh, <laughs> to 3 today, including a grand slam, so that was
1: a thrill. Well, see, that sounds lovely, and then here I have to come along and ruin it uh, with these, <laughs> uh, com- this conversation. Uh, Steve, these, uh, these new statements now uh, from the military command in North Korea that I was uh, just quoting there, uh, using the Steve Herman rule, is it time to worry? Should we be taking those uh, very seriously at this point?
0: Well, yes, we should be taking them very seriously, and we should be more worried, but I don't think we need to necessarily be hysterical or uh, go into a panic mode uh, that has uh, certainly uh, been triggered by some of the uh, uh, broadcast uh, uh, reporting that we've seen on the uh, news networks, uh, which are not only seen in the United States, but seen around the world as well, and I've been getting queries on social media from people in different countries, especially in Asia, uh, excluding notably South Korea, where they're sort of used to all of this, uh, thinking that uh, we're we're getting very close to some sort of nuclear war with North Korea because of uh, what they're seeing on uh, CNN and other networks.
1: Well, uh, you know... uh... I, I uh, also sort of enjoy uh, 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 blaming a lot of the corporate media for uh, overblowing things, but it's difficult to not uh, when you have the president of the United States talking about raining down fire and fury on a foreign nation. Were you at the uh, at the Bedminster uh, Golf Club in New Jersey earlier this week when you made that uh, infamous statement?
0: No, uh, I was uh, at the White House uh, uh, that day. And uh, we expected that uh, he was going to say something on North Korea, but uh, obviously, as a lot of things uh, are with this president, it came as a surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, this this is basically the the president now uh, using the type of rhetoric that we commonly hear from North Korea itself. Yeah. And one uh, uh, strategy, according to people at the White House, uh, is for the president to come off as unpredictable, to use this sort of strong language to uh, have the, the North Koreans, and I think also this is messaging to the Chinese as much as anybody else, to uh, have them think that uh, this, this president is unpredictable and uh, may launch some military action. And so if Beijing doesn't want to see this happen, which they do not, then they better start uh, twisting the arms or the necks of mm-hmm. uh, the North Koreans that they're dealing with as, as soon as possible, because this administration has obviously been uh, dissatisfied with uh, China's involvement. Although they're very grateful for the um, uh, the Chinese uh, vote in the UN Security Council on Sunday, but uh, uh, President Trump, back at that dinner that I, I when I was at Mar a Lago mm-hmm. uh, with the president, uh, uh, the president felt that he had assurances from his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. Uh, that uh, they, they would take care of this uh, fairly quickly, and when that didn't happen, uh, Trump was obviously very disappointed in um, in Xi and started putting pressure on him uh, via social media as he tends to do.
1: I've uh, you know this sort of saber rattling, obviously by North Korea, has happened for decades, as you note. Uh, you know, with with few worries. I, I've seen a lot of longtime experts uh, on the region over the over the past few days saying, you know, don't worry. Uh, this is, We've seen exactly this from uh, North Korea for years. It's nothing to worry about. But isn't the bigger unknown here really now the American president? And, you know, while I don't know if it turns into, uh, you know, a nuclear holocaust, uh, even a conventional war on the Korean peninsula would be extraordinarily uh, uh, catastrophic and tragic uh, right now. Have you seen anything different from uh, North Korea than you have seen in the past that would make you more worried than you have been in the past versus the rhetoric coming from the White House?
0: Not really. Now, uh, obviously, the specificity of this uh, Guam attack plan, Mm -hmm. which does have a lot of conditionals in it, is something quite uh, notable. Uh, But I think what is also very notable is the type of language that was used uh, in the response to President Trump's fire and fury comment, Mm -hmm. where the North Koreans didn't come back with how dare you talk to us like that if you are going to use that sort of language, boy, you're really going to pay Mr. President. Uh, Instead, they tended to ridicule his language and and brush it off, saying we can't take this uh, these words uh, seriously. And in that, that's in their way is, is, is sort of uh, uh, not uh, further increasing uh, the amplitude of the feedback loop. That said, they may very well try to do something. I see absolutely no evidence that they're not going to continue with uh, missile tests. The only reason we have not seen another nuclear test, from what we've been told. Uh, by various officials is because of Chinese pressure. Mm. Uh, And uh, I think even before all the fire and fury uh, comments uh, occurred because the Guam threat was not in response to the fire and fury comment. That comment had been prepared before. That was in response to the U.S. ICBM test off of Vandenberg in California and also the overflight of bombers from Guam to korean peninsula which occurred on tuesday so that's what that initial statement was about that specifically mentioned uh, guam and Mm -hmm. the four medium-range ballistic missiles Uh,
1: have there been other times steve herman when uh the situation between the u.s and north korea has uh, at least since the korean war which is officially still ongoing uh, right uh, but have there been other times Uh, that you've been uh, covering the region for uh, more than 25 years, uh, where the situation has become seemingly this dire and broken between North Korea and and the U.S.?
0: Uh, It's been uh, different, but uh, similar in in some ways. There have been a number of incidents over the decades, and uh, you can go back to the Carter administration. Uh, There were times when uh, we got very close to war and uh, there was a crisis mode. I think what's different is this is all playing out now in real time because of 24-hour news networks and uh, Twitter and the president being on Twitter and uh, the North Korean statements getting pretty wide coverage on social media and on the networks and and the compulsion to uh, 24-7 crisis coverage because... If you're a, a commercial uh, all-news network, uh, talking about the the, ch- the possibility of diplomacy is is not as exciting as uh, uh, talking up the the possibility of nuclear war and comparing this to the Cuban Missile Crisis and you know wanting to keep viewers um, on the on the edge of their seats. Uh, I, I think it is prudent to look at all of this in a historical context and to have experts come on the air and 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 talk about this. But uh, you know, there's obviously. Uh, Quite a bit of hype that's going on to this, and and because these North Korean statements are not analyzed in historical context, no one pays attention to them really outside of a, a small number of uh, specialists on a day to day basis. Uh, and then uh, to have the statements pop up on national news, uh, you if you don't understand that the hmm. the North Koreans have been threatening to bring down a sea of fire on Seoul on a regular basis for many <laughs> many years, and the type of rhetoric an insult that they use on a regular basis towards the United States is really nothing new and you need to tear apart the comments as we've discussed who who is who are making the comments and what sort of conditional language is in the comments and if North Korea comes out with a direct threat that does not contain conditional language and it's coming from the command uh, of the Korean people's army and it mentions Kim Jong Un then we have to take that very very seriously
1: and you know, Steve, I just have to uh, slightly disagree with you again here because I uh, here's my concern. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying about the comments coming from North Korea, but there is this different element. You've got uh, Donald Trump now, and I don't know that he has the understanding that uh, these uh, you know North Korean experts do. Um, you know, we opened up the phone lines yesterday on this show to ask you know who who folks are more concerned about at this point, Kim Jong Un or <laughs> Donald Trump, and really you know who is more of a of a threat right now to stability in the region. In the region, is there any way to quantify that? Do you have any opinion on that?
0: Well, I try not to give personal opinions. I, I try to uh, analyze and and comment uh, based on facts mm-hmm. and, and and looking at. Uh, historical precedent. Of course, we do not know what will happen, and no one can say with any assurance that they know what will happen. And the president's comments do inject a new level of uncertainty and do ratchet things up. Uh, And as I said, uh, just how deliberate that is, uh, is a bit of a question mark. Now, some people might not uh, be assured uh, by the fact that we have uh, very distinguished generals uh, heading up the Department of Defense, mm-hmm. the National Security Council, and, uh, the, and also serving as chief of staff at, at, uh, of the United States, but I think many in Washington, uh, including uh, those who would be in the camp uh, against any sort of military activity, would find that reassuring, uh, to have that influence in there and that there are, are, the president is not just being uh, left up to consulting with uh, uh, other people mm-hmm. in, the, in the West Wing who uh, have not really studied this from a military perspective over the decades. Uh, that said, the military option is always on the table. That has not changed. The motto of U.S. Forces Korea for many years has been fight tonight, to be ready, respond to a north korean provocation at any time and there are operational plans and if the north koreans uh, do something uh, then the united states uh, has been prepared for many decades to respond uh, proportionally now obviously as any student of history and war will tell you unpredictable things can happen Mm -hmm. there are personalities involved and one thing could lead to another, and it could be very easy for things to get out of control. But the Korean Peninsula has been very dangerous for many decades. It's just become a norm. Uh, Now there's much more at stake because the North Koreans have uh, nuclear weapons capability. They have an intercontinental ballistic missile capability, and if we're to believe not only the DIA, but uh, several other intelligence agencies, according to, uh, an NBC report today, uh, they now have the capability to miniaturize a nuclear warhead and put it on an ICBM. I think there's still extreme skepticism that they could target accurately, but for what they need to achieve, they don't need to, uh, to, uh, to have an accurate target. If they're able to hit California, does it really matter whether they're hitting downtown San Francisco or Modesto?
1: Well, it does to me. I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> that said, uh, I, I want to ask well, you. Yeah, uh, my point. My point <laughs> is that yeah.
0: it's, it's the North Korean strategy here is all about invoking fear.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: No. A, a, and and with that, they're very successful, and this then this helps raise the level of fear, mm-hmm. which is the only real bargaining shift that they have against a superpower.
1: It does indeed. Steve Herman, I need to take a quick break here. Uh, But when we come back, I want to ask you about those distinguished generals you mentioned uh, and the influence that they're having within the administration uh, and some uh, curious reporting on that and on the divide within the White House. Also, what is it that Kim Jong-un actually wants? And is there even a pathway at this point um, to work this out between Kim and and our distinguished president uh let me take a quick break here we'll be back with uh, steve herman VOANews.com's white house bureau chief i'm brad friedman this is the bradcast don't go away hey this is brad if you haven't noticed by now it's no easy feat finding facts real facts not alternative facts over your public airwaves Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Speaking with Steve Herman, Voice of America's White House Bureau Chief, longtime uh, 26-year Asian correspondent. Uh, based in uh, Tokyo and India and Korea and Thailand now at the White House and uh, we're talking about the situation obviously with uh, with North Korea before the break Steve you uh, you cited you mentioned our uh, distinguished generals who are serving sort of up and down Donald Trump's staff and I think that a lot of uh, a lot of folks have been saying well we've got, In theory, uh, these generals in this uh, otherwise unstable administration, but these uh, military generals uh, are are a calming influence on the president. But then I read this report in The New York Times, I think this was yesterday, uh, about a divide within the administration regarding North Korea. And if I understood it correctly and if The New York Times reported it, uh, uh, correctly, they say that the the military factions within the administration seem to be in favor of an aggressive uh, stance on North Korea, whereas the right wing uh, sort of nationalist faction, the the Steve Bannon and friends, they are opposed to foreign interventionism. And yet we've seen comments from, you know, right wing advisors like Sebastian Gorka that he, you know, suggests he's in lockstep with this aggressive stance by uh, by Trump. Then you have the secretary of state saying, oh, don't worry, Americans should rest easy. Uh, uh, the president is just using language Kim should understand. So what does your reporting, Steve Herman, uh, tell us on uh, on the divide, if any, within the White House uh, when it comes to North Korea?
0: Yeah, look, again, as as we've discussed, uh with with uh, Donald Trump there there is a, a very different uh a dynamic because of the type of uh, provocative public statements that are being made and the and the types of um aids that he has in the West Wing that are uh nationalistic and isolationist and uh I, I think more of this divide plays into the Afghanistan troops question. Mm. Uh, where the the North Korean situation is a pretty different dynamic because the generals can come in and can demonstrate to the president how they have war game this out over and over, uh, over many years, and if this happens, then we should do this, and if we do this, then this will happen. And I don't think people like uh, Steve Bannon or Sepp uh, Gorka necessarily have the, the, credit, the credibility to, to, to counter the generals with, with their plans. Um, and, and this sort of uh, difference of opinion mm-hmm. is not unique to this administration. This has been something that has played out over many decades. And I've talked to former commanders of U.S. forces, uh, Korea, who have acknowledged that there have been uh, very strong differences in past administrations among the Defense Department, the USFK Command, the State Department, the National Security Council, and advisors in the West Wing. Uh, the difference is when you are able to look at something like the, you know, how should we put more troops back in Afghanistan and, and how many should there be? That's something where the United States is, is solely in control of what's going to happen and can take its time on making that decision where something with north korea the decision may have to be made within a matter of minutes not a matter of weeks or months and so that's what's very different here uh... yes my my concern is higher than it was uh... a a few weeks ago Uh, uh... but everyone knows the cost of even a uh, resumption of conventional war on the Korean Peninsula, including Kim Jong-un. The difference is, um, in some ways, he may be holding some very interesting, uh, strong cards for this uh, ultimate uh, poker game, because even though the United States has the, cap- the capability to bomb his country back to the Stone Age, he is willing to accept a uh, very high civilian casualty rate. Their command and control is meant to function underground for extended periods of time. Their ultimate responsibility uh, there uh, for the generals is to protect uh, Kim Jong-un uh, and ensure that the regime survives, where for the South Koreans and the U.S. forces, it's it's a very different construct, isn't it, mm. yeah. where they have to take into consideration massive civilian casualties. The collapse of the South Korean economy, uh, public opinion in the United States, uh, the, the possibility of significant numbers of American civilians and military personnel dying in an exchange of artillery fire. Uh, along the the, the Korean uh, DMZ, etc.
1: And that's an important point because even with the uh, various questions about uh, North Korea's uh, long and you know uh, middle-range uh, uh, ballistic missile technology, questions about their nuclear technology and so forth, what is uh, not unknown is. Their, um, their ability uh, in some fashion uh, to attack targets nearer to uh, North Korea, like Seoul in, in South Korea or, or Japan, none of that is in question. They still have enormous destructive uh, abilities there, correct?
0: They would be able to unleash a significant amount of artillery fire into the northern suburbs of Seoul for, uh, say, a period of 30, 45 minutes until that can all be taken out by uh, the United States and, and South Korean military. Mm. But that gives them uh, the, the op- literally the opening salvos, which can cause a tremendous amount of destruction. And that has always given the U.S. and South Korea tremendous pause about conducting any sort of uh, preemptive strike.
1: I've got uh, just a, a few minutes here, uh, Steve. Um, what does, uh, Kim, presuming we're able to uh, a- avoid some sort of military confrontation at this point, uh, what is it that, that, that uh, Kim wants here? What would he like? I know the Korean War, yes, that one from the 50s, still ongoing uh, officially, and a peace treaty was never signed. Would signing one at this point uh, help in this situation? What is he looking for?
0: Yes, he is looking for a peace treaty with the United States, recognition from the United States as a nuclear power. He wants respect. And he wants to try to drive a bridge between South Korea and the United States. And he wants to negotiate equally with the United States, not with the United States in South Korea. Uh, Uh. This has been a very consistent position of the North Koreans. I don't think under any circumstances, that they are voluntarily or through any type of negotiations willing to give up their nuclear capability or their ballistic missile program. Uh, they want to come to the table with this being accepted, essentially, and then uh, there can uh, start to be some negotiation. Uh, so this, 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 is a very, this is not very uh, palatable to a, a lot of people on our side of the table, obviously.
1: Yeah, are you getting any sense from the administration in covering the White House that they would be willing to sit down and talk in any fashion?
0: Yes, we've heard that from Secretary Tillerson. We've heard that even today from the President of the United States, who said that uh, the U.S. is still open to negotiations. The North Koreans, in their messaging, have spoken of, the possibility of negotiations, but the preconditions for negotiations that Pyongyang has and that Washington has are are very very far apart, uh, and there has been an unwillingness uh, to have negotiations about negotiations, at least officially. But I can tell you, there have been track two talks, there have been secret contacts that have been going on, uh, even with uh, this administration, on a on a, a very uh, a fleeting. Uh, level there, there's been the New York Channel for many years, where there were talks uh, that would be held uh, between uh, U.S. officials and North Korean officials uh, from their U.N. delegation. That has been tremendously scaled back, but there are always ways for these two countries to talk to each other, to contact each other through uh, the Chinese, uh, through the Swiss. Uh, There was just a a a high-ranking Canadian official who was there uh, earlier in the day to pick up a pastor, uh, a Canadian who was released by the North Koreans today, Mm -hmm. and that Canadian military plane flew from Pyongyang to the uh, Yokota Air Base uh, of the United States uh, in Japan, and so uh, perhaps there was some sort of message that's being communicated with uh, uh, Canada that may come to the
1: White House Mm -hmm. at any time. I will take that optimistic uh, uh, point about ongoing back channels. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one uh, right now. I guess maybe I'm taking whatever I can get, but I will take grasping it. At straws, yes. Yeah, I am. Uh, but before I let you go, Steve, you, you've you only, uh, as I said, returned stateside after years reporting overseas. Uh, what's been uh, more difficult to cover, all of East Asia or this White House? I, I think
0: that... Uh, This White House has probably been the most challenging thing to cover of my career because it is obviously not normal. Uh, It is very different, and we have a president who really doesn't care too much about uh, communicating in a moderating fashion to the mainstream. He is continually sending out messages looking to reinforce his base. Uh, and and that has a lot of veteran journalists scratching their heads about how to cover this. Uh, I guess fortunate for me, I wasn't there covering the Obama administration and don't need to, to compare and contrast on a <laughs> right. day-to-day l- level, uh, uh, day-to-day uh, basis. I was just thrown into this, um, and uh, so I'm coming at it from a, a different approach of someone who has covered um, I, Autocrats, fragile democracies, countries in civil war, uh, countries that were going through tremendous uh, uh, transitions. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm able to uh, approach it with a bit more level-headed. But as you know, uh, it is very intense because we have uh, statements that can come from the president at any time. We have um, uh, also a, a breaking news stories, investigative reports from... Uh, Uh, The Washington Post and New York Times have come out on a regular basis Mm -hmm. at 9 o'clock at night, and uh, so it makes for some very, very long days.
1: (laughs) Glad to know it's not just me. Uh, Steve Herman, always great talking to you, my friend, always helpful. I would uh, highly recommend uh, Steve's Twitter feed. He is W7VOA. Uh, especially at times like this uh, uh, regarding uh, Asian uh, concerns uh, across Asia, uh, but certainly uh, regarding this White House now where he is now, VOA's White House Bureau Chief. Steve, great talking to you, my friend, and uh, no doubt we'll be bothering you again in the future, but I hope not.
0: (laughs) Well, one way or another, always uh, a pleasure to talk with you, Brad.
1: Thanks, Steve. Okay, a quick break and uh, some news I've been trying to get to all week that I think is important. So, uh, yes, we're going to cover it one way or another after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs>
2: And thanks.
1: Are you uh, are you trying to tell me to take it easy, Dizzy Doyen?
2: Well, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, well.
1: I'd love to but it's uh, it's pretty tough right now. Welcome yeah, back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Of course that's Desi Doyan. Uh, do you feel uh, you feel any better after talking to Steve Herman?
2: Actually, I do. He always makes me feel better.
1: I, uh, he usually makes me feel better, but uh, today, when you could tell that even he was concerned about the ratcheted-up rhetoric, what's going on at this point, what's going on at this White House, uh, I will say, though, uh, at the end there, when he talked about the possi- th- the fact that back-channel conversations are still going on, that he was able to confirm that, that makes me feel a little bit better. And this clip from Rex Tillerson, uh, a lot of people have been playing the uh, the part about, oh, Americans should rest easy. Yeah, well... I don't rest easy, uh, no matter what he says there. But there was this other part that a lot of people, most people have not been playing that maybe does make me feel a little bit better. Uh, Rex Tillerson on that airplane the day before yesterday, I think. Whether we've got them backed into a corner or not is difficult to say, but diplomatically you never like to have someone in a corner without a way for them to get out. So, good At least the Secretary of State understands that, that you need to give them a way out. So if it's just rhetoric on Trump's part to accomplish whatever he thinks he's going to accomplish, as long as they're leaving some door open. For us to get out of this mess, um, I take at least some comfort from that.
2: Yeah, and for North Korea to get out of the mess that they are creating because they seem to be kind of locked into it. So I hope that this is uh, that this these diplomatic channels remain open and that they are very, very productive and effective.
1: Yes, please. All right. A couple of stories I've been trying to get to uh, all week, but for this uh, North Korea mess. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, On Wednesday... And I actually, we started out the week talking about this story because I knew that it was going to disappear. I knew that the, the Donald Trump hadn't talked about it. It got very little coverage from the corporate media. And uh, it is still getting little coverage. All right. On Wednesday, this was, uh, yeah, on Wednesday of this week, Donald Trump, he retweeted a story from Fox and Friends with the headline, France vehicle attack leaves at, s- at least six soldiers injured. So there was this terrorist attack in um, in France this week, uh, an attack on French troops said to have been carried out, I believe, by an Algerian national. Obviously, that's disturbing. Um, And so I'm not bothered that uh, Donald Trump tweeted that out on Wednesday. But the president of the United States has yet to say or tweet a single word about a terror attack that happened on U.S. soil This past Saturday now, going almost a week ago at this point, he hasn't said a damn thing about it. Nothing. He hasn't retweeted Fox and Friends on it. This was, as I noted uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, this attack in Minnesota, Bloomington, Minnesota. Where officials uh, midweek said that uh, the Dar al Farouk Islamic Center in Bloomington, Minnesota, damaged on Saturday by an explosive device, questioned why President Donald Trump has not spoken about the attack when he is usually quick to comment on security issues. Mohammed Omar, the center's executive director, invited Trump to come and see what happened, according to a report by BuzzFeed. He said, We invite the president to come and see. He's the president of this country, and this happened to us. He has to come here and at least express his feelings and say this is bad. Well, no, he doesn't, apparently. This is a mosque in Minnesota where a bomb went off. It's believed to be some sort of an improvised explosive device. went off on Saturday morning before dawn as uh, I believe several dozen uh, worshipers were there gathering for morning prayer. Thankfully, nobody was uh, hurt, didn't kill anybody, but it blew out the windows of this office. It rattled the entire neighborhood. It was obviously uh, an attack by someone. A bomb went off in a mosque, and the president has still, to this day now, almost a week later, said absolutely nothing. Asad Zaman, the executive director of the Muslim American Society of Minnesota, told BuzzFeed that we are wondering why President Trump has not tweeted about this. He seems to want to tweet about security and terror issues. The FBI is uh, reportedly still seeking suspects in that blast, trying to determine whether or not it was a hate crime. The bombing happened again on Saturday, and all of these days later, the White House has not said a word about it. Would he have uh, said anything about it, you suppose, had a bomb gone off in the offices of, you know, uh, some Christian, uh, white Christian church, even if it hadn't killed anybody? Trump, usually quick to condemn acts of terrorism, also has a history, of course, of Islamophobic remarks. In 2015, he said he would strongly consider closing mosques and appeared open to the idea of creating a registry of Muslims in the U.S. You remember that. Trump also claimed that the U.S. is, quote, not loved by many Muslims. He called for a, quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. He called Muslims, quote, sick people and said, quote, I think Islam hates us. So maybe that's why he doesn't give a damn when a a place of worship is actually bombed here in the U.S., on U.S. soil. Uh, He also never, it's not just U.S. soil where he doesn't give a damn about it, he also never uh, publicly addressed the attack on a Quebec City mosque that killed six people and injured 19 more not long ago. So apparently the president's message When it comes to terrorism, at least when it comes to terrorism that uh, is targeted, is targeting Islam, that's just fine. Bomb away. You know, so long as you're bombing a mosque, that's fine. Even here in America, the president of the United States is not going to say a word about it. I find that just remarkable, to be honest. Now, Trump's uh, deputy advisor Sebastian Gorka, we mentioned him in the last segment with Steve, um, he reportedly, by the way, lost his contract with the FBI due to his hard line when it comes to Muslims uh, and his often factually incorrect anti-Muslim rhetoric. On Tuesday of this week, he he suggested that the attack could just be a ruse. He said on MSNBC, we've had people fake hate crimes in the last six months. That's true. It could turn out to be not who you are expecting. Suggesting, I guess, that this was a a false flag attack or it was someone on the left trying to, uh, I don't know.
2: Make it look like there is more attacks on Muslims.
1: Uh, As pressed as to why Trump has not yet commented, Gorka said, I'm sure the president will do that. Just hold your horses, he said. Count to 10. The president will do what he needs to. Well, the president has still not said a word about it. I'm fairly sure we have all counted uh, to 10 Since Gorka went on air, I think this was last Tuesday, uh, and the president has still not said a word about it. Uh, uh, Congressman Keith Ellison of Minnesota, a Muslim himself, a Democrat, he released a critical response to Gorka's statement. He said the president's failure to to condemn the terrorist attack on the Bloomington Islamic Center is an outrage. Ellison uh, said it suggests that his oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, including the right to equal protection under the law, only extends to people who meet certain racial and religious criteria. Yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? Since the attack, public outcry from local leaders continues to increase uh, over Trump's silence. Every second that goes by that he fails to address the attack shows that he is not serious about his oath, said Ellison. Ellison said Gorka's comments demonstrate what the congressman said was the administration's disdain for the Muslim American community. Uh, Gorka is trying with no evidence here uh, whatsoever to distract the public's attention, said Ellison, from the real story that a group of Americans who were peacefully worshiping were the target of a terrorist act. By minimizing the attack and insinuating that the left is behind this attack, the Trump administration is once again showing its disdain for the Muslim American community. And by the way, even if the left was responsible for this bomb, for this attack, even if it was some sort of false flag attack, it is still terrorism.
2: And it still should be condemned. And period. It still should, exactly, End of story.
1: Exactly. Uh, Ellison, of course, is the first Muslim uh, elected to Congress. Uh, And he has faced anti-Muslim messages by Republicans in his own state. Anyway, just want to mention it since the president apparently does not have time to mention a terrorist attack on our own country, on our own soil at a place of worship. It just amazes me here almost a week later. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, another story that I've been uh, trying to get to all week over the last five years under Secretary of State John Husted, a Republican from Ohio. uh, Ohio has purged nearly two million voters from its voting rolls over the last five years. Some of those voters were legitimately moved because they either died or they left the state. But a 2016 investigation by Reuters found that. Low income black Democratic voters were disproportionately purged out of those two million. The investigation at the time also found that in Ohio's major cities, including Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati, voters were removed from the rolls in Democratic leaning neighborhoods at about twice the rate as in Republican neighborhoods. We reported on this story when it came out last year. Well, that's Ohio. That's Ohio for you. Now, this, in yet another reversal of a previous Justice Department stance on voting rights, Attorney General Jeff Sessions this week weighed in on this pending Supreme Court case regor- regarding Ohio's practice of purging inactive voters from its rolls. The Justice Department flipped its previous position in a significant voting rights case that is now headed to the U.S. Supreme Court, arguing that Ohio should be able to purge thousands of voters from the rolls who have not participated in recent elections. Voting advocates say that the, uh, the move lays the groundwork for massive voter purges across the country. The case is now heading to the Supreme Court for the next term. that was filed by Ohio resident Larry Harmon, who found out when he tried to vote in a local election in 2015 that he was no longer registered. Harmon is a 60-year-old software engineer. He's a Navy veteran. He had last voted in 2008. Uh, Barack Obama's first election. So he voted for president in 2008. But when he showed up to vote on a local referendum in 2015, he learned that he had been purged from the rolls, that he was roughly one of one point two million people who had been purged from Ohio's rolls for, quote, infrequent voting. Now, Harmon hadn't moved he hadn't uh, changed his voting status in any way, hadn't you know changed parties, and then there was some sort of accident. No, he was just removed because he hadn't voted since 2008. In a court filing this week, four Department of Justice attorneys wrote that the National Voter Registration Act allows states like Ohio to remove voters from the rolls after it sends them a notice alerting them that they will be purged. The DOJ had argued in an amicus brief that Ohio's voter purges, which have been disproportionately hitting Democrats and African-Americans, they argued this week that they are lawful. That is the opposite of what the Department of Justice under the previous Attorney General Loretta Lynch had said about the very same case last year. Among other things, Accurate registration lists are essential to preventing voter fraud. The new brief states, well, that is true. Ohio is fighting now for the right to send notices to any voters who miss just two federal elections. They want to send a notice inquiring if they have moved, passed away or become otherwise ineligible to vote. If the voter does not respond and continues to miss federal elections, he or she would then be removed from the voter rolls.
2: In other words, if you get a piece of mail and you think, oh, this is junk mail, or you miss it for whatever reason, and then you don't show up to vote, you go on inactive, you get purged, purged. you show up to vote again, Oops, sorry, you missed an election, you lose your chance. Right,
1: and that's what they're arguing at the Supreme Court in this case where Larry Harmon had filed suit. And in that case, the sixth U.S. Court of Appeals found those purges that resulted in him not being able to vote in 2015. Uh, He found uh, the the U.S. Sixth uh, Circuit Court found that those types of purges were illegal. It took until September 2016, but then Harmon got his right to vote back, etc., and they sided with the ACLU of Ohio and groups that represent homeless Ohioans and communities of color. The state then appealed, and the Supreme Court agreed in May to hear this case the next term. And this is what, well, in in the case, in the federal appeals uh, court case last year, they had ruled that, in fact, Ohio had violated the National Voter Registration Act. That's the 1993 law that made it easier to register at the, uh, at the DMV, the so-called Motor Voter Law, uh, and at other uh, public agencies. It also included measures for voting roll maintenance to remove voters who had died or moved, etc., from those roles. But the law stipulates that the NVRA, it, this is I'm now quoting here, shall not result in the removal of the name of any person from the official list of voters registered to vote in an election for federal office by reason of the person's failure to vote. So you can't do this for if they've been removed because they failed to vote. You can't do it. And the U.S. uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed.
2: Yeah, it's kind of clear right there in the statute.
1: And the Department of Justice agreed and had filed an amicus brief. As a a result of that court ruling, Ari Berman reports this week at Mother Jones, 7,500 people who, who would have otherwise been purged were, in fact, able to vote in the 2016 election, including Harmon. The Obama administration had backed that position, but the Trump administration has now reversed course, writing in their new brief to the U.S. Supreme Court this week that, quote, after this court's grant of review and the change in administrations, the department reconsidered the question. It has now concluded that the NVRA does not prohibit a state from using non-voting as the basis for sending a removal notice, Even though that's what the law actually stipulates. This is nuts. But it gets even worse. You think it's nuts, it gets even worse. Justin Levitt, a constitutional law professor at Loyola, uh, voting rights expert, a former DOJ voting rights uh, unit official under President Obama. He's been a guest on this show several times over the years. He noted that it is extremely unusual for the DOJ to switch positions in a case after they have already weighed in at the appellate level. More disturbingly, he pointed out that no career civil rights attorneys actually signed on to this new brief. It appears to have been drafted solely by Trump administration political appointees. In other words, they could find no one who actually works at the civil rights unit who has been there for years working on civil rights who would agree to sign on to this. This is just like what we heard. This is just What we heard uh, during the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, when they signed off on uh, photo ID voting restrictions in the state of Indiana and Georgia, despite the fact that uh, all of the career officials in the uh, voting rights unit had said, no, this is going to disproportionately disenfranchise minority voters. And the uh, political appointees, they said, oh, that's fine. We'll sign off on this anyway. Levitt also noted that typically uh, both career attorneys and political appointees would sign on to a brief like this, but that uh, in this case you had no career civil attorneys. Kristen Clark, the president of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, said in a statement that she condemns the decision to obstruct voting rights in Ohio. The Department of Justice's latest reversal of its position is a critical voting in a critical voting rights case represents. Just the latest example of an agency whose leadership has lost its moral compass, she said. The law has not changed since the department accurately told the court that Ohio's voter purge was unlawful. The facts haven't changed. Only the leadership of the department has changed, she said in her statement. The case could determine the political fate of one of the nation's most important swing states, Uh, That would be Ohio. Um, But not to mention the way that voting roll purges are now allowed to be carried out all across the country. Uh, Just last week, I think it was, Georgia purged about a half a million voters.
2: Surprise! Yep.
1: And um, so this will uh, give the okay. If the Supreme Court, I should add, the stolen Supreme Court, the stolen Republican majority on the Supreme Court gives the okay to just uh, remove people from the rolls if they don't vote.
2: And this sounds like it'll get pushed into 2018, right before the midterms.
1: At this point, yeah, right before the uh, right before the midterms, right before the primaries start, uh, at which point it may be too late to change whatever law is in effect in these various states due to the Purcell principle that the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't like to change the, uh, the rules, the laws, the procedures regarding elections just before the elections start. So le- the longer the Republicans can stall and delay on all of this stuff... Um,
2: The worse it is for voting rights. And the
1: more that's right, the more they can keep suppressing the votes. I have another story on that regarding Mike Pence's Indiana, but that will have to wait until our next thrilling episode. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Steve Herman of VOANews.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it uh, along with any other broadcast at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide. I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks as always to those of you who have stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.